Hello, everyone. My name is Ian Rowe. And I'm Nike Fajors. And welcome to The Invisible Men, where we make the achievements of incredible men invisible no more. Hello, and welcome to The Invisible Men. My name is Ian Rowe, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And I'm Nike Fajors, a member of the Leadership Network at AEI. And as our uh, followers know, we are dedicated to demystifying black excellence, uh, trying to tell the stories of, of some incredible black men that you might not know, but who've just been doing inspiring work in various areas in academia, business, philanthropy. Uh, and today I am so pleased, Nike and I are so pleased to have an old friend, Andy McGadney, uh, Andrew McGadney. Yeah, no, um, Andy works. Andy works. It's great to be here. <laughs> um, and full disclosure, my lovely daughter, my wife and I, Sylvia, Sylvia has been good friends with uh, uh, Andy's wife for many years, Camille. And we were so inspired by Andy and Camille that we named our daughter Camille. So... Andy, thank you for choosing well, your wife. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Let's give credit where credit is due. <laughs> yeah, I hear that, man. I hear that. Um, so I've known Andy for many years, Nike. Um, similar to you, you know, we just kind of grown up together, uh, didn't he, you know, weren't in touch for a while and, and reconnected, but just have stayed, have stayed in touch. And, and Andy has been a leader in higher education for many years, you know, he was at Wesleyan, uh, Colby College, and I'm pleased to share that Andy was just announced to be the 20th president of Knox College. Yeah. Woohoo! Incredible. Wait, so so incredible. I, I, I just need to just read what the what um, the chair of Knox College said. Andrew McGadney has demonstrated an uncanny ability to build momentum through visionary leadership, a talent for creating and spearheading student-focused, innovative programs that deliver results, and a deep understanding of the need to inspire a college community to attain aggressive goals through collaboration, end quote. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Yeah, it was pretty pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're proud of you. We're proud of you. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, so we'd just like to um, start off our conversations, you know, before you became the Andrew McGadney, you know, about to be president, you know, tell us a little bit about the young uh, Andy and if there was, you know, any incident that occurred that, that kind of put you on this path you know, that, that made it possible for you to think the way that you do. Well, well, first of all, Ian, thank you to, to you both, Naiku, for, for, uh, for having me here today. It's, it's a real honor to be able to speak with two, you know, extraordinarily successful men too. So this is, this is, uh, I've been looking forward to this all day. Um, and, and I appreciate the work that you're doing and trying to, trying to bring light to, I think, a really important topic. So, uh, with, with that being said, um, you know, my background, I grew up in Bloomfield, Connecticut, uh, sort a Northeast kid, but I have deep Southern roots. Both my mom and dad are from uh, Mobile, Alabama. And if you know that area, I'll tell you the real 
the real place they're from is from Pritchard, Alabama. So, um, mm-hmm. so you know, for many, many years, while I was born in Connecticut, I would spend a lot of time in the back of a, of a car driving from, you know, Bloomfield to Mobile and, uh, and would listen to all kind of great music on eight track all the way down. And <laughs> this was in the seventies. Um, this was in the seventies. This was in the seventies. Right? That's right. In yeah. the seventies. Um, and, and we would drive, you know, we can talk a little bit more about this uh, along the way, but, but we would drive all the way through, uh, cause sometimes you couldn't stay in certain hotels along the way. So do you, do you, you remember part that? of the, absolutely. Uh, understanding the, why there's a lot of food in the in the back seat of the car because you, you, there are certain places you can stop and you can't stop. Uh, but but with where I was going with that is to say that my my background is this northeastern kid that had deep southern roots that understood that uh, opportunity and education was really important for our ability to to move forward. And so my parents, who loved the South. Um, both were college educated, historically black colleges, Alabama State University, Alabama A&M, and could not get a decent job outside of my dad was uh, with a college degree cleaning the inside of, of steamships when they were coming in or, or, you know, those big ships that were coming into the port and had to clean the boilers. You know, that's like for a college educated guy, that was the best job he could find. And if wow. you know anything about cleaning that type of uh, machinery at that type of heat was just uh, intense from his description. So they ventured to Connecticut to find better life. Um, my, my dad ended up being a, a state worker for the state of Connecticut, a highway draftsman for 33 years. And my love of education comes from my mother, my mom, who was a first grade teacher in Hartford public school system for 30 years. And, and I'll tell you that some of the joys, greatest joys of my life, I lost my mom um, right after I graduated from Westland. So I was 21 yeah. years old. She died of colon cancer. But the things that were always so touching to me would be, you know, walking in Hartford and you bump into someone, they hear my last name and they say, oh my gosh, I had your mom as a mom taught, Yeah, first grade. Oh. I mean, it's like, what? You know, so you, you, you start to realize the impact that you can have on a person's life, even at that early age. And, and that was in many ways, life-changing for me. Uh, I never knew I'd be, you know, pursuing a career in education, but totally uh, when you see that and understand the background, you, you, you see why this has been an important journey for me. Wow. Wow. And how often do you get back to Pritchard or Mobile? Uh, well, so, you know, post the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, probably once a year. Um, my dad's uh, there now, um, mm-hmm. living in Mobile. I still have lots of cousins and aunts, uncles uh, in the area. And so it's, um, it's, it's really, really delightful. And as you know, Ian, Camille, my wife is from Jamaica. So yep. at, for a long period of time, we have three beautiful kids. Uh, we, we try to make sure that they have experiences on, on both sides of our, our culture, their culture. Uh, I'm a little delinquent in getting the family back to Jamaica. So if if Camille's mom sees this and dad, uh, you know, I apologize. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> no, that's great, man. That's yeah. great. Well, I, I would I'm curious to know what you think, how things have progressed in Mobile and Pritchard versus those days when you were driving and 
gosh, can we even yeah. stay in that place? How, how are things relative to then? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, you, you, you're probably hearing and reading about the kind of great migration back to the South. I mean, you're hearing lots of families moving back right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, something, my dad's 86 years old. Oh, he'll be 86 in June. Uh, and something he mentioned to me years and years ago has always resonated in my, by my head. Because uh, I asked him, like, Dad, why are you heading back to Mobile? And he's like, you know, Andy, um, when you're in the South, you, you know where you stand. You know, people will tell you right away whether they like you or you don't. In the Northeast, it's not always the case. So, you know, that was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, you know, like there's a, there's a certain clarity of, of, you know, where you are and know who you're talking to. Um, which, which was always, you know, interesting to hear his perspective on that. Um, but I, mean, I, I think things overall are better. I mean, I think overall, as we think of country, whether it's education or access to, to financial opportunities, not to say it's great because, you know, we have a lot of work to do. We, we all recognize that. But, you know, for all of our lives that, you know, on, this, on the screen today, as we think back 10, 20, 30 years ago, um, things are better for us. Opportunities are, the doors are open. Access is better. Um, you know, the ability to live where you want to live is, is better than it used to be. Uh, you know, so I, I would say overall, uh, things are, are improving. And, and there's a sense, at least from my perspective, uh, that you can make a difference wherever you are. You can truly make a difference wherever you are. Andy, as I was looking at, at your background, one thing stood out to me, and that was, um, the time that you as a young man were a, an account representative at, I believe, Otis Elevator. That's right. I tried to think about that young man vis-a-vis -vis where you are today. And I just, I asked the question, were there things you learned as an account representative that, that actually were even relevant now as president of a, a leading university? Yeah, I, I would say, Mike, uh, you, the first, first thing is, uh, Relationships matter. Um, relationships matter. I, you, you know, I, I can I can tell you today that my experience working at Otis Elevator Company, part of United Technologies Corporation, um, was a wonderful experience. I'm, I'm still in touch with the you know the account rep that I worked with. Um, you know, I, I we're still you know LinkedIn. We, we're we're sending notes back and forth, but. But, but, you know, understanding that, you know, work ethic matters, uh, follow up and follow through matters, uh, understanding that many times people judge a book by its cover. Mm. Um, that was definitely the case as, you know, a, a sales rep for selling elevator service contracts. Uh, that's definitely the case, you know, walking in as a fundraiser for Wesleyan University or Clark University, they hear a last name Agadney. Uh, Andy, you know, then here I show up. Sometimes they're not expecting uh, the person that walks through the door. Um, but but understanding the power of those relationships, I would say, from working at Otis Elevator was something that has carried through uh, my, my time as a, a professional in education career, too, because they do matter. And, and you can you can make differences in people's lives and um, people respect honesty. They respect the work ethic. The respect that you you do what you say you're going to do and you follow up and and you um, and you're treating with 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 respect, and those are kind of those principles of things that will will be recognized in any field of human endeavor. 
That's really powerful because I think sometimes people look at large corporations and they say, oh, they're just these giant factories that stamp out products and, and don't really impact people's lives and people just work there to get a paycheck. But I think many of us have that, you know, first job experience and it stayed with us the rest of our lives. And there were so many things that, you know, you eloquently articulated that, that, that we were taught and we observed. Right, uh, right. You know, the, there, there are two other things I'll, I'll mention about, about um, my experience at Otis. Uh, one, I, I don't know if you are both familiar with Inroads, but, but Inroads- Yes, was did that start in Boston? I don't know where it started, but, okay. but uh, I was I part of the Hartford, the Hartford office. Uh, okay. And and Inroads was was the organization that provided the opportunity for for that first entree into corporate America, and they were looking for talented young professionals of color to kind of you know provide leadership within the the kind of corporate environment. And, and that was you know I I don't I never forget that experience because that was part of that access that yes. allowed a group of of, of black Latino. Latinx, you know, members of our community into those firms that wasn't happening at those numbers over time. Now, many of us, many of us have, have continued and gone into different ventures, but those early experiences were pretty powerful. So I, I, I want to give that credit to, to Inroads early on. And then two, going back to the, the relationship piece, um, you know, I, I do remember when my mom was a school teacher, she would speak to everyone from the janitor to the principal, to the young student, to everyone else in between. And, and she would, you know, we, we would talk with the janitor on our way in and out and make jokes and things of that nature. But I recognized that, you know, my mom was talking to everyone at all levels. So when I was at Otis, there was definitely the sense of, you know, the sales reps were over here the office managers were over there, and then you had the mechanics. And I was quick to understand that you're better off having great relationships with everyone, including the mechanics. Because actually, <laughs> sure. the mechanics were the ones that actually gave me the best leads on where to go to get new contracts. They knew the elevators better than anybody else. So when you, when you treat people with respect, it comes back. And the first thing they saw was this you know, kid you know, driving a, a car, a nice car. Uh, but I recognize that, hey, you know what? You buy those guys a cup of coffee, you meet them for a drink after work. All of a sudden the respect is is earned and and your ability to operate uh, is very different. But but it's those little things that are not little that, that truly make a difference. Got it. So Andy, how did you then make the pivot into higher education? Like what, what was that led you down that road? Yeah, uh, you know, in some ways it was a bit of a, um, I was going to say a bit of a mistake, but, but, but it really wasn't <laughs> a mistake, right? So, so on one hand, I was um, I had a good friend of mine that I'm still in touch with today uh, who mentioned to me probably a year ago that when I was a student at Wesleyan, he said, Andy, do you know when you were a student, you said that you wanted to be a college president? I said, oh, gosh. I didn't remember Andy, one of the first things you said to, right one of the first things you said to me like I do I don't know 15 years ago like I want to be a college I'm like, okay I, well by the yes, time you, by the time by the time we met Ian it was crystal clear but I didn't realize I was saying it as a student at Westland 
but um but and, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second like i i saw the the role of a college president it, it seemed to me it was a position that filled all the things that i was passionate about all lumped into one job like you know, I, I really enjoyed fundraising and raising uh, funds to, to, to really do, you know, awe-inspiring initiatives. Uh, I love business. Uh, you know, I was a small entrepreneur, but did I want to do that every day in my life? I like politics, but did I want to run for, you know, office all the time? I, I loved the academy, but did I really want to be a, a tenured faculty member? Like, so I felt like there were all of these pieces uh, that I could do as a college president, but didn't have to, you know, dive deep into those areas. So, so I thought it was a great role. But so I left Otis Elevator initially because a job opened at Westland to initially run right. or be a part of an annual fund. And my thought at the time was I would do a couple years in for-profit, a couple years in for a nonprofit, and then go uh, hopefully to 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 a business school. I, you know, I didn't think I could get to Harvard Business School like some people on the call, but you know, um, but I was thinking about business school. And right. and and as you probably know from my, my background, I never went to business school. I had a long career at Westland. Um, ended up getting a, a master's in public administration and policy, and ultimately a doctorate in higher education. So, um, you know, once I realized the path, uh, I was I was very very committed to. Uh, pursuing that goal. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. Powerful. Well, you know, I think I think we have a nice transition point, Andy, to what we call our, our speed round, where I okay. throw out a couple of uh, individuals or institutions, ask you to pick one and tell us why. So I'm, I'm going to feed right into what you just said. I know Wesleyan is, is very close to your heart, but Columbia or UPenn, since you have degrees from both those institutions? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I, I, uh, this is tough. This is tough. Great institutions. Great institutions. Um, you got to choose. Right. I, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick UPenn, um, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it because of relationships. Uh, not that I didn't have great relationships at Columbia, but the the, the UPenn program uh, that I was a part of was this executive doctorate program, and it's a cohort model that. Um, was in many ways life-changing. Uh, you know, we, we, were, we were deeply immersed in the work that I was doing every day. So I felt like I was, I was going to class and yet I was getting immediate information and having great conversations about things that I was doing day in and day out with some phenomenal minds. Uh, you know, some sitting college presidents, uh, we had, you know, a senior partner at McKinsey. You've got, you know, school archivists and, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion experts and admission. I mean, it was just a rich group of very talented people that, uh, once again, still very close to all of them. Um, great relationships and, and, and phenomenal teachers and, and, you know, faculty members that were awesome to work with. So that's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so next, uh, Malcolm or Martin? Yeah, uh, good one. Another great one. Uh, how can you choose? Um, <laughs> I think I think I would lean towards Malcolm. Um, um, you know, I think you, you, both both ins inspirational, um, both you know, in, in so many ways, uh, great for our country. Um, uh, but but I but I. You know, as a as a person who loves 
language and, and writing. I mean, I felt like uh, Malcolm had, had a, such a wonderful way of, of articulating strong points. Um, his message is straight on point, kind of, kind of raw in some cases, but over time and over as, as time has shown, uh, you know, very masterful in what he was saying and how he lived his life. That's, you know, you said two things. You know, we asked this question to every guest and I just love the answers, but two things really struck me. One, you said good for America. And I often reflect you know, on, on Malcolm X, his assassination in particular. And I think at the time, a lot of people that truly love America were probably happy, but they didn't realize that America would be an even better place if, if, if he had lived because right. he had that kind of impact in America. And, it, so that, 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 and then your point about words and language, that is um, very, very powerful. Uh, well, one more. Uh, so economic development or civil rights? Ooh. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with economic development. Um, you know, I, I, I actually believe that, um, you know, through, through the power of, of, of economic change and prosperity, you know, all people all backgrounds, all lives, you know, uh, can elevate. And, and through, through um, you know, providing access to capital, to providing uh, opportunities for, for all, I think that that can be um, transformative for, 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 for everybody. So I, I would lean towards economic development, so. Very good, thank you, Andy. These, these yeah. are good ones, these are good ones. <laughs> like, uh, you know, questions that could be debated for hours. So yeah, we do a whole show on each one. Absolutely. Well, speaking of debating for hours, I mean, Andy, you're about to take over a major college, you know, Knox College. And and it, it is interesting what's been happening on college campuses, right, across the country. Yeah. This whole idea of debate and free speech. And yet there's a lot of incidences where uh, it seems that ideas are under assault, or they can be, or, or unless you're of a certain orthodoxy. And I'm just curious what you think about that as you are about to embark upon this journey. How do you, how do you facilitate free speech, civil discourse at a time when we're so divided you know, on right. college campuses? Yeah, great, great question, Ian. You know, I, I think this is really where, you know, small liberal arts colleges and universities across this country, this is really where our, our sweet spot should be, right? I mean, we, we should be the places where we're teaching students on, on A, the importance of doing the research and understanding all issues and all sides of issues, right? And then being able to have uh, difficult dialogues on those topics in a way that's respectful. Because guess what? If you're able to do that, you, you're going to learn and grow. And and at the end of the day, we should be open-minded to learn and grow, and being willing to to test our own um, kind of opinions. Uh, many of our opinions are based upon experiences of the past. Uh, I think you know a, a place like Knox College is is you know is a a wonderful kind of uh, environment for young minds to come in. Uh, to be open to different perspectives, uh, to really dive deep in, in, um, in the research and inquiry, and then being able to ask tough questions, uh, but doing it in a space where, where they can um, um, share their true viewpoint, 
but be willing to be changed. And, and if they do change over time, that's okay. And, and you know, so, so how do you create the environment where um, differing opinions can, can still come together? Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm struck by the, 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 such the, the, the hard differences in opinion. When you look at the politic, politics of today, there's like, it's either you're one way or the other way. And, and there's, the two shall never meet. And, you know, I think higher education today has not only the opportunity, but, but the obligation to ensure that our young minds are being developed in such a way where they can, they can be, they're open and willing to have those difficult dialogues, uh, that they're, they're willing to have different viewpoints. And that's, that's, it's still tough, but, but I do think that's a great place for, for higher education to lead. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, I think they, you're so right. Been, I mean, you you yeah. just said it, that these, these hard positions and the, the chilling effect is that if you have a young person who's just kind of trying to think through these issues, there are real consequences to expressing an opinion, which may not right. be on either one right. of those sides, right? So what, what does a college president have to do? Like, what, what do you have to model to let someone like that know that their voice matters as well. Yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think the first thing is really, um, you know, ensuring that people understand that, that you're one of the desires of a president in the early, especially in the early days of a presidency is you know, the desire to listen, you know, to listen and learn, to, to be able to, to hear where people are coming from, uh, understanding the various differences but if, if everyone walks into you know, an environment with the, with the thought process that I'm not here to share my perspective, but I'm really here to, to learn, uh, to understand, uh, to understand why that a person is thinking or feeling the way that they are, uh, and then pause, like really pause to truly reflect on what you heard, understand it, um, and then the next piece of it is, is really to, to be open to dive into the research and the evidence so you can have factual information that you can then base your own opinion on and then be able to share it. And, and you wanna create the environment where, where those differences of opinion um, are not like endpoints, they're beginning points. Um, you know, the, the idea that you hear certain schools are not allowing speakers, certain speakers to come on the campus, I think is not the, the right approach. I mean, I think you can learn from all voices, you know, okay. and you should be willing to invite people. But, but listen, it's not, it's not an opportunity where you just invite someone to kind of share or spew. <laughs> right, to be Exactly. So you, you, you want to then create the dialogue. Say, let, let someone speak. We hear them. Let's ask tough questions. I think there's 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 great use and and um, a great opportunity and and teaching students and faculty members to ask tough questions, but then be willing to understand and listen on the other sides of things. But I, I think that there is a there is a real uh, place for higher ed to kind of lead in, in a way of creating young minds of the future, uh, so that we don't have the divide. I mean, there will always be differing opinions, but but you can still come together to understand, learn, and grow, and respect one another in those scenarios. Yeah. I mean, Andy, even what you just said, the very fact that you, the very fact that you even say, we can have speakers come onto our campuses, 
even that is right. is, a, is a statement that requires some courage these days. I mean, there absolutely we have we have heads of major universities that have succumbed to pressure to to not allow, you know, I mean, maybe people with somewhat extreme views, but just yep. come to talk. Even that is now a threshold right. of courage in our current environment. Right, but, but and, and I, and I uh, that is correct, that what you're, what you're sharing. Um, but I do think this is where institutions can make, make, make a stance to say, you know, we're, we're comfortable, you know, inviting um, uh, speakers that might not have the, the, the main viewpoint of everyone around the table, but it's important to hear that viewpoint. And it's important to understand, you may not have to agree with it, um, which is fine too. Like you, you don't have to agree, but you should at least be willing to listen and learn. And, and if anything, it helps to strengthen your argument, you know, right, it helps exactly. to strengthen your thinking. Uh, and it might even change, you know, your belief, but, but if nothing forbid. else. No, yeah. right. And I'm hundred percent right. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't need anyone to come talk to me. I'm right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> So, um, well, Nike, I don't know if you had an additional question I was going to uh, ask about Daryl. Please, I think it's yeah. time. So, so Andy, as, as you know, you and I talked when Nike and I started the Invisible Men, you know, 30 years ago, um, it was, uh, it was to, uh, you know, speak to particularly, I mean, to all people, but particularly young uh, Black kids who may not be able to, to have a vision for their future based on the context that they are currently in. And we thought it was important 30 years ago to showcase you know, black men at that time from the Harvard graduate schools to speak to uh, an imaginary kid, Daryl, you know, 16 years old, living in forgotten USA. And so we, we like to end these sessions by giving each of our guests an opportunity to say, you know, what would you say to uh, the Daryl who's 16, who maybe in a couple of years could even apply to Knox College, right? But he may not even know about Knox College right now. He may not even know that the, the 20th president is, is a black man who's had an incredible experience. Like, how, how would you help a Daryl? What would you say to him to help him find his way in the world right now? Yeah, that's great. Uh, and, I, and I love that that you, you, you both brought this back. I mean, I think it's... Um, you know, I have three kids, uh, two two boys. Um, one's 20, 21, um, who's a senior here at, at Colby College, and and um, my middle son is is eighteen and a freshman at Howard University. And you know, I, I think as well as, done, Dad. Well done. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, and Mom too. Mom, uh, yeah, of course. Believe me, it's a duo. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, you know, I, I, we, we put a lot of um, investment in our children, right? And, and as I think about a young Daryl uh, today, you know, it's all about letting them know that they can do whatever they want, put their mind to it. And, and, and it's about kind of encouraging the ability to succeed. It's about inst instilling hope that there's, there's opportunity where they can make a difference. Um, and, and, and it's, you know, trying to, um, you know, create a pathway where 
a young Daryl can see themselves in any field of human endeavor and succeeding in those areas and, and letting them know that they can do that and, and that they might have some failure along the way, but that's okay. And, and that's, that's gonna be a part of their story. Um, but, but also to know that they're not in this alone and that um, we're, we're, we, we are all here to support one another. Um, and, and my hope is, you know, through, through your work that you're doing with this segment that, you know, other men of color are, are, are recognizing the impact that they can have not only on their, you know, immediate families' lives, but the lives of others. And, and that we do, it, you know, it should be part of our duty uh, to ensure that we're able to help others. I mean, the whole reason why I'm so passionate about education is, you know, I can see and have seen how education changes lives, right? How, how not only impacts our lives and has, uh, but by doing that, it impacts our families and our families' lives and those that, that we come in, in, into yep. contact with. So I would be saying to Daryl that, that, you know, he can do it. Uh, you know, he's not alone in, in that journey. Uh, we're here to help, um, but, but the sky's the limit. And, you know, regardless of, you know, the discrimination that we all will see and face and, and have faced, but if you look at you know our our history, African American history, we have succeeded throughout it all, and and we're 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 not going to stop, and so neither neither should he. We are not going to stop, <laughs> President McGadney. I love those words. I love those words. You know, I I, I really hope that that all the Darrells of all races. Um, yeah. Have, have can have that feeling that they're not alone you know yeah. that, that uh, there are a lot of us that are pulling for you every single day and trying to work really hard to create opportunities for for them to succeed absolutely uh andy nike as always thank you for another you. great episode of the invisible men uh if you want to see any of our prior episodes you can go to www.invisible.men. And uh, Andy, thank you for everything, man. You're incredible. You're inspiring. Uh, for Knox College. Yeah, yeah. The, the students of Knox College and the faculty. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, which which group you think is is harder uh, is harder to uh, <laughs> to to uh, manage the students or the faculty. Oh, but no, I'm, I'm looking to partner with all. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun. In IQ, so. that's why that's why Andy he's he's gonna he's gonna do well. He he, he know he knows how to he knows how to <laughs> do this. Um, Andy, thank you. You you My you've pleasure. been inspiring and great luck at Knox, Knox College. It'll, they are lucky to have you. It's a great institution. So onward. Well, thank you both. Appreciate your work. Thank you for watching another episode of The Invisible Man. You can find other episodes at the AEI podcast channel on YouTube or the website invisible.men or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.